Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Don't Worry Darling. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. How are you, boys? What's going on, Bill? Gentlemen, hello. How's everyone doing tonight? Every other other Friday, there's a little bit of uh, delay this week for this episode. That is true. We did have to uh, reschedule a week later than usual for this particular installment. Bill, why did we have to reschedule? Why did we have to reschedule? What what happened? I was out of town, uh, AJ. I was on vacation in Atlanta, oh. Georgia. Ah, home of Big Boy and Coca Cola. Ludicrous. <laughs> sure. Maybe. I don't know if Luda's from Okay. How was know, um how was Atlanta? How was ATL? Atlanta was great. Uh went to Coca-Cola World, like you said, Craig, home of Coca-Cola headquarters. That was a delightful trip. I went to the Georgia Aquarium, which was uh, top notch. Truly world class aquarium down there. It, it's probably top three exhibits in the United States regarding yeah, animals. It's great. Dolphin show, outstanding. Sharks, very impressive. Oh. The whole thing was great. Great. Love Went it. Went to see a Florence and the Machine concert, which was incredible, as always. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was great. It was an overall great trip. Went uh, with friend of the show, Krista, who uh, we actually saw Don't Worry Darling while we were down there, which will be the review for this oh. episode. Saw it while we were Is in this your first time I, you've done, you've watched a movie that would be reviewed on this show, not in the state of Massachusetts? Uh, that may be accurate. I'm trying to think if maybe when I visited family in Maine, I may have seen something up there during a, Interesting. During a review period, but I don't know. Is this something we could potentially package and sell as the Sigsy experience? A lucky listener gets to join you and go to the theater and not not talk. Uh, it's a great idea, but I would never allow it. So, um, okay, I got Open, I got three. As someone who went to school in Georgia, that has nothing to do with this. But I'm going to ask three questions, uh, if you don't mind, about your time in Atlanta. Sure. Uh, thoughts on Hartsfield Jackson International Airport? I mean, it's a marvel. It is. I've flown through it a few times to, as made as I've made stops in it, and uh, but I've this is the first time I've had to actually like go through actually it, actually land there, leave it, come back to it to 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 part, and it is very large and very impressive overall. The fact that they are handling the most traffic of any airport in the U.S. and they keep seem to keep it pretty seamless. The security when I was departing was a little dicey if you looked at like i had tsa pre and clear and all these things but when you look at like gen pop the the lines were just like oh yeah out of control for security oh yeah uh but yeah i mean it was pretty impressive airport okay uh at the coca-cola world factory whatever you want to call it what was the yep. best what's the best thing you drank what was the best flavor of coca-cola besides original <sighs> The original that they had at the end, which was coming straight from the mainframe, you know what I mean? Like, right <laughs> straight from, was fantastic. I mean, it's Fountain Coke, so like it's going to be good no matter what. But that was great. We did try sodas from around the world, different brands that they have throughout uh, the world, and they were labeled by country. I will say the one from Italy, I almost vomited. Absolutely disgusting. Whoa. Uh, and then there was a, it's called Beverly, whatever drink that was. Terrible. 
There was a pineapple one, I want to say, from Korea that I thought was actually very good. Ooh. Um, yeah, so there's some interesting ones. The, the flavor tasting was like, didn't quite live up to the hype I had in my head for like testing Coke from around the world. But it was interesting. The gift shop, though, let me tell you, their <laughs> merch for Coca-Cola, I mean, it was like the size of a Gap outlet. There was just <laughs> sweatshirts, hoodies, bottle openers, Sprite, Fanta, Coke, any you name it. There's merchandise with it on it. I spent almost $300 there. Jesus fucking Christ, Bill. Bill on Coke t-shirts? Well, look, Why do you got- need that? I can go to Target got, and go to the, the T-shirt section. It's not and buy the same, AJ. It's not the same. It didn't come from the source. I got, you know, a T-shirt, a couple hoodies, bottle opener, a couple other things. And I bought some stuff for other people. I bought my nephew a hoodie. Someone I work with is very passionate about Coke. I got him something. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good haul. Good haul from the uh, Coke merch. Can't wait, can't wait to see our gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm blown away. Uh, <laughs> third question Local f- local food? Get any good southern? Sure, sure. Fair? Fried chicken was delicious. Love it. Uh, and also got uh, ribs from Fat Matt's, which, connect to the podcast, uh, is name-checked in the movie Up in the Air, and so I had to go check it out. And it was uh, delicious, wow. as expected. So good oh, pull. Good pull for the writers wow. on that movie. I... I, I I'm so glad you had a good vacation and you're back. We're going to talk about some stuff. Uh, So, Bill, uh, a lot of travel usually means a lot of in-flight entertainment. Were you able to catch up on some movies and films over the past few weeks? I have caught up on a few things. Uh, The flights were kind of short, so I stuck with the podcast and audiobooks for that. But I did finally fill in a cultural blind spot for myself. And I watched The Karate Kid. Original. The original Karate Kid. I had never seen it in full. Oh, wow. I knew a lot about it through cultural osmosis. And when I watched it, I knew almost all the lines somehow, just from being alive in America. Um, And I got to say, not that great. Uh, Yeah, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. If you grew up with it, I'm sure it's outstanding. But the pacing was tough to get through. Yeah. I expected, like any sort of sports movie, so to speak, he would have a couple warm-up events or tournaments leading up to the big tournament. Instead, I'm watching this over two-hour-long movie, or at least it felt that way, and I get to like 20 minutes left and he's showing up at the tournament. I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is the first we're seeing any fighting at all after such an investment? Yeah. Two hours and and six minutes and... Two hours of that is just, <laughs> it's just fucking just sludge. Paying that dialogue, yeah. So I finally watched, but you know what? I saw it. I can now say I've seen it. I can't. I'm not going to get any weird looks anymore when I tell people I haven't seen The Karate Kid because I have. Another one I went back and uh, rewatched was Gladiator, and the reason this comes up, uh, and I'll try this. I'll try to keep the story fairly short and try not to get emotional about it, but. When I was a youngster, uh, my uh, my mother has passed away. She used to dismiss me from school on Fridays once in a while, and we would go see whatever new movie came out. We'd go see the the, the first showing of the movie because I was a good student. It was kind of like a reward thing. 
So on a Friday where I didn't have much going on, if there was something coming out we both wanted to see, she'd come into school, dismiss me at like noon or whatever, take me out, and we'd go get lunch and see a movie on opening day. And so I have a few movies that like stand out from my memory of that, The Matrix being like a big one. But the other big one was Gladiator because this was one my mom was super excited about. She loved sword and sandal movies, big epics like that. And they hadn't made, Hollywood had moved away. Hollywood goes in phases. Sometimes they'll get really into westerns or musicals or in this case, superhero movies now. But they had moved away from these types of big sword and sandal epics. So when Gladiator was coming out, my mom was jazzed about it. So we went to see it opening day. And so now I watch it again. First time in many, many years. And tried to watch it kind of with fresh eyes. And that movie fucking rocks. Like, it's still so good. <laughs> like, Ridley Scott just crushing it. Russell Crowe, I used to give him a hard time because he got best picture, or excuse me, best actor for that over Tom Hanks and Castaway. But going back and rewatching his performance in Gladiator, like, I get it. I get it. So that was just a fun sort of memory lane trip for me to rewatch Gladiator. Highly recommend. Uh, yeah, I watched it maybe it was during COVID. It was, it came up on HBO or HBO max and, um, it was on the title screen or the, the splash screen when you log in. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I haven't watched it. And like you said, holy goddamn shit. Does that movie just <laughs> fucking slay? It's gruesome. It's brutal. The, it's so well paced. Everything about it is just, and it's a perf, and it was like such a breakout movie for Joaquin Phoenix as like the villain you love to hate. Like he's so good in it. Ah, oh, just everything about that movie works. Uh, AJ, I know you watched something as well. Uh, we were texting about it when you were watching it. I did. I watched Thor: Love and Thunder, and what an awful movie that was! <laughs> oh, man. My God. Yeah. I... Just yeah. another example of this phase of Marvel that just sucks so goddamn hard. I think you gave it a C minus. I would lean more towards C plus, but uh, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I found it still entertaining, but the funny thing was is I feel like the day after I watched the film, there was an uh, interview or something on like an ex executive um, for Marvel or Disney explained what the movie could have been, and they talked about how. Uh, Taika Waititi had all these grand ideas and I feel like this always happens is that like a director has a really good movie they say go bigger and bolder and better than what you did before they spend all their time trying to come up with a crazy ass script that pushes boundaries and then it gets into a pitch meeting or in the writer's room and they're like <laughs> no 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 like this isn't like a I know what you're trying to do but you're you're you know you're going to play the greatest hits. Like in the movie Chef, he's like, if you ever saw the Rolling Stones and they didn't play Satisfaction, you'd burn the fucking place to the ground, wouldn't you? And he's like, yeah, I would. So they're like, play your greatest hits. And it just becomes this repeatable Taika movie that has nothing saving it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I watch it because you told me to, and I watch it because I've watched all the other movies, but truly, honestly, it has no bearing on any part of the rest of the world. Um, I feel bad for Christian Bale because I feel like he was the only one who was actually trying during that entire movie. He gave it, he gave it his all for so, sure. Yeah. Just disappointing. Uh, the last thing uh, to update on is Craig and I, another movie I saw, I saw two movies with people, which is like years since I've, since that's happened. Uh, we saw clerks three. Sure did. I didn't do a full, 
Didn't do a full SIGSI review for it for a couple reasons. One is it's not widely available to see in theaters. It was just as that Fathom event. So like it doesn't, it's not the same as a normal release. It's also such a niche movie. It's almost like reviewing a documentary. It can be very, very difficult to review. If you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say I would give it a no. Um, because it, it's so much inside baseball and meta humor around the clerks, the, the view askew universe or the clerks movies, and even Kevin Smith's life being pulled into it. That you like, you have to be a diehard clerks person to like love this movie. Anybody coming in off the street would have no idea what's going on and probably not enjoy it in the least. And there were some diehard Clerks fans in the theater when we were watching it because there were some people hooting and hollering. And oh, yeah. You and I were mostly <laughs> just very confused. I was mostly As to why exactly this is funny on screen because it's all just callbacks. Yeah. Which was like, I, I remember reading some stuff from Kevin Smith and he was very, we probably discussed this a little bit on the last episode, which is like, it is not trying to be anything other than fan service. Like it's very... Um, clear it is what it is and he he wasn't trying to make a movie for me he was trying to make a movie for you know someone who's seen and quite likes the existing clerks movies which is which is why i didn't i I mean i would i could post a review and give it a no but it feels like unfair because it is a not broadly available for people to see anyway so the should i go see a question doesn't even apply and again like like craig just said it's not broadly meant for a wide audience However, I didn't bother doing a full review, but the soundtrack. <laughs> no, sorry, AJ. What? No, I was going to no, no, no. So the soundtrack, Craig's band's song. Yes. Is in it. Crushed. It killed. It, it killed. St- steal the show? Oh, definitely. Did for me. It, it was at, so again, in the last episode, I had been told that it was during, it plays in nearly its entirety, and what actually happens is it plays beyond its entirety. They, they basically take a part in the middle and they sort of vamp it for a little while, and then they just keep going. Whoa. So it plays for, like, the entirety of sort of, like, the, I don't know what you would call it, Bill, like, the transformational scene from, I mean, it's, like... it's like the climax, basically. It's, it's yeah. the act two to act three transition. So that's pretty wild uh, and pretty weird and pretty cool. Um, it was very cool. Band is called Rebuilder. The song is called La Grande Fromage. Google <laughs> available on streaming services everywhere. It sure is. It'll be available uh, at the Middle East downstairs on Saturday night. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, see you there. Uh, yeah, that was definitely the highlight. That was really cool to have that personal connection and and uh, have that in the movie. So that that made it worth it. Made it worth it. Wow, good for you, Craig. And then we zoomed around the parking lot in Bill's Tesla. Right. How was it? Pretty scary, <laughs> to be honest. That <laughs> <laughs> was great. They, nobody, nobody threw up, so it was fine. Uh, into the news, Bill. We had a couple stories yes. we're going to be talking about today. Um, well, the Emmys happened uh, since we last recorded. Uh, Succession won Best Drama, and Ted Lasso won Best Comedy. In addition... Uh, the White Lotus won Best Limited Series, and Squid Game picked up a few awards, including Best Actor. Bill, did you happen to watch it, either recorded or live? And how do you feel about what happened? I did not watch the Emmys this year. Um, I heard the show itself was uneventful. I followed along on Twitter while I was watching something else. Truly, the only award show I care about is the Academy Awards, and even that. I'm like hate watching it most of the time. It usually annoys me. So my award show quota is met every year with just the Oscars. I can't really get bogged down in the other ones. 
I'm f- I'm fine with all the winners. Uh, it makes me want to watch White Lotus for sure because that was one I'd been like kind of on the fence about. But winning that category makes me want to watch it. Yeah. The only thing that's weird though is White Lotus won for best limited series, so it was in the same category as all these mini series that are already done. And now I keep seeing ads for White Lotus season two starting soon. So I don't know if they like entered it as a limited series at the time that they had entered for the awards, and then they decided after the fact we should keep going. Like I don't know how that worked out. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, all the awards seemed pretty predictable from what I was watching. So not not a ton stood out to me. Did you end up watching, or did you uh, anything no. jump out to you? It's tough to watch, and you know, the more you watch the Emmys or learn about the Emmys, it's it's a popularity contest. You know, we talk about how the Academy Awards is for the most most directing, most acting, most over the top wardrobe. Um, I feel like the Emmys is like who's popular in mainstream media and pop culture, and that's usually who wins. Um, but another example of I, I don't need to spend three hours of my life watching fucking yeah Keenan <clears throat> yeah it talk about shows I forget about yeah uh-huh. I I think I agree I think it is definitely a popularity contest that that reminds me of the way that some people look at Rotten Tomatoes Rotten Tomatoes is not like uh, an indicator of quality it's an indicator of reach like how many people have seen it and know about it so they want to talk about it. I feel like the Emmys is the same way. Whatever the buzziest, zeitgeistiest thing is at that time uh, that the voting happens is what's going to win. So I feel you on that one. Yeah. And and now that, I mean, I'm probably not going to remember any of the shows that I watched this year that come out next year, but there are a couple episodes that we've talked about on the show um, and a couple actors and actresses that we talked about that I would be shocked, shocked if they did not make um splashes at next year's Emmys. You know, we talked about uh The Bear. We talked about the last season of Barry. There's two or three episodes that not only is the directing um crazy, but the cinematography and the sound design. I can think about one or two episodes uh in Barry where they do kind of sound cuts um that were like really crazy. And you know, as I'm looking through the awards of this year and all these different categories, I'd love to see some of the ones that really stood out from from this season be recognized uh, next year. All right, AJ. Other news. D23, Disney's annual convention where they share their upcoming plans and projects was a couple weeks ago. The main things that they shared included a live-action Little Mermaid teaser, a a disenchanted movie on Disney+, Plus, Inside Out 2 was announced, an original Pixar movie was announced, Pixar's first TV show was announced, a Mufasa film was announced. A Peter Pan and Wendy film was discussed with Jude Law as Captain Hook. A new Haunted Mansion film with Winona Ryder and Jerry Leto. Uh, oh. Yep. The first footage of the Gal Gadot and Rachel Ziegler Snow White movie was shared. Two new animated shows, including a Zootopia Plus uh, miniseries on Disney Plus. Uh, and more footage of their next big film, which is Strange World, was also shared. AJ, based on their presentation, when it comes to the future of Disney, are you more excited, less excited, or the same? I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Everything that they showed is just a reuse and recycle of something that has been done previously. It's tough. This is 
what was once the most imaginative and groundbreaking company in the entire world has now just fell into the trap of just rinse and repeating everything that they've ever done. And it's so fucking disappointing. The only thing that came out of that expo was like they did a, a town hall. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, panel with uh, the whole Henson studio. And they did a, a like a retrospective of uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol. Which was great. That's interesting. Yeah, they talked about it. There was a whole thing about how Michael Caine acted. He acted. There's a thing that Michael Caine, when he went to inter- when he went to go audition for that movie, he basically read the script and was like, "So I'm gonna act and do this like there's real people in front of me and not Muppets." And and the whole Henson team was like, "That's exactly <laughs> what we want you to do." And now when you know that and you rewatch it, there was some those clips you watch, and I was like, "This man's a fucking." genius that's great but i do digress um it's so disappointing it's so sad and disappointing to to see all of this shit that they're trying to pedal and push out it's bad it's real bad i mean the little mermaid in particular uh i was pretty excited about i like the little mermaid the original live action remake i'll take it um I love the casting choice. I know morons and racists are up in arms about it. Um, (laughs) They're usually up in arms about something, but they were definitely up in arms about this. But yeah, this is even worse. But I was excited about that casting choice. um, And then I saw the clip and it's like, it's a little awkward. It It doesn't doesn't look right. Yeah, the, the effects are probably not, I hope, are not finished, which is what happens when you release a trailer. That's fine. But it just, I don't know, it it didn't seem to be working for me. So that was a bit of a bummer. But overall, you're right. It was all sequels or known properties that we're already sick of. The idea that they're making another Peter Pan, like, base movie, like, like, talk about running out of ideas. You've got to be kidding me. And a Haunted Mansion and a Snow White, like, this is what we're making. We've already redone Snow White multiple times. And Peter Pan, obviously, multiple times. And they've tried Haunted Mansion at least once, if not twice. All of those things I agree with. You know, the the most disappointing one was for me. Got to be Mufasa, right? Because the mean, Mufasa that, one makes that, me that, actively angry. Like you, you, you say like that's a crime against humanity, like a war crime. Like that's a, <laughs> yeah. That's like I cannot even think about that because it's unfathomable. A sequel to Inside Out, which was one of the oh best God, I know. premise for, and I get it. I think the whole thing they're doing this time is um, through like puberty. Uh, adolescence. Yeah, it's still it's still the same girl, Riley, but this time she's a teenager, and there's new emotions will come into it. Sure, which I get, but like... Yeah, that's such a perfect gem to just leave. I Wait, know. but that yeah. makes sense. I mean, you can't complain about rebooting old stuff, and then this is, this is a piece of new material that they did a good job of once, and they're making a sequel. That's normal. They make sequels to these types of movies all the time. And it's not always trash. But we've talked also about that. We've we have talked in the past though about the risk of of hurting a perfect movie with a subpar sequel. You don't yeah. touch it, yeah. Like you don't do a Lion King two or Aladdin two. Like you don't touch those. Like in my in my view, that was in that same echelon of perfection. The thing that is so funny to me about this entire thing that we're talking about is to go back to Walt Disney's vision. And when Walt Disney was urged to make a sequel to The Three Little Pigs, because it was so, so, so successful at the time, 
his response was uh, not to do a sequel. And his quote was, you can't top pigs with more pigs. Like, uh, what are we going to do? Like, why would we do a sequel? We've already done it. And now to see his company, this entire presentation is trying to top pigs with more pigs. Like, that's all it is. <laughs> and it is going completely counter. It's pigs all the way down. Really. Uh, it's just it's bad it's bad so yeah and even the next day they did the star wars and marvel side of the presentation and none of that jumped out of me either like none of that really excited me so the whole thing was quite a disappointment the it the production notes um it reminded me of probably one of the funniest tweets i've ever read in my entire life and the tweet goes I bet if they made Ratatouille 2, it would have been like Ratatouille International. And they would have entered a cook cooking contest and met chefs from all around the world. But they all had like different rats in their hats, like a sushi rat and a Guy Fieri rat and a German rat called Ratwurst. Like that is fucking hysterical. But do that's something. what it seems like that's what they would do. Yeah. That's the direction they're going. That's where, that's where we're headed. So Disney, get your get your shit together. Yeah, please. for real. For real. This is a crazy one. Tom Hardy recently surprised a martial arts competition by not only arriving unannounced, but by entering and winning the entire thing. Bill, uh, was Tom's move here cool or uncool or rude? And what other actors you wish had talents in real life that they've displayed on screen? I think it's overall cool. Like, part of me thinks... It's a little rude because it's like, this is these people's lives that like, this is what they do. This is like their living and you're just coming in as a star and like affecting that. But also he has his own life. And if he's that into it and he's good enough to win, like he's a whole human being with thoughts, feelings and beliefs. So uh, sure, like go for it. Right. I have a question about that, though, about the whole this is their lives. This is what they do for a living. I've never heard of a professional tournament of the, of sport where you could just show up and enter good point it's probably like this, an amateur i, I type think my, when i read this i was like this was probably like an amateur competition and stuff and tom hardy has all the money for all the trainers and the dietitian and the perfect everything and access to all these like probably world-class you know coaches and whatever if he wanted to just be a rich guy doing a hobby in this case it's like combat sports and then he rolls up into what I'm assuming, this is my the assumption, he rolls up into what I assume was an amateur competition and just starts freaking rocking people's <laughs> shit. And I personally do not think that's cool. I think you're lame. So if it was professional and they, they were like legit badasses that he was taking down, I, I'll take this all back. Okay. I mean, they could all kick my ass. I'm not saying they're not badasses, but... Sure. No, I, yeah, I understood. understood. It's degrees. Yeah, it's relative. Okay. Let's 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 do some fact checking here, right? So this was one of three tournaments he entered in a single month, right? He is a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he competes in both gi, which is the one that's like the tra- traditional uniform, and the non-gi tournaments, right? He competes in uh the 36-year-old in up division um in his own weight class. Um and by all accounts, he's following the rules and the kind of principles that have been laid out from the governing bodies that do this shit. He just showed up, hit all of the prereqs required, and he went in and he fucking it's pretty great. It's demolished. Pretty great. It's pretty great. So, like, I don't blame the fucking dude. Like, no, like that. If that's his passion outside of work is doing or outside of acting is doing Brazilian jiu jitsu, and he wants to go in there and fucking 
put himself to the test and win. Mazeltov. That makes him even hotter. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. I, as far as other examples or other stars go, I had two thoughts. One, we saw a recent example of this with my boy, Tom Cruise, taking a helicopter to the red carpet of, <laughs> of Top Gun Maverick because he can do all these things. He can fly all these planes. He flew a helicopter and landed it and then got out on the red carpet. That's a pretty badass example that I thought of. As far as fake examples, this is kind of along the same lines of sports, but how badass would it be if Jeremy Renner went into like an archery <laughs> contest and like, or if you win, if you won the gold medal for, if Hawkeye won the Olympic gold medal for archery, that would be the sickest if Jeremy Renner was actually that good. That was the only one I could think of as like, uh, man, I wish that was true. Yeah, it's a wild story, man. And there's videos online of him, uh, like cell phone footage of him. The dude, the, the dude can roll, man. The dude can grapple. And he was submitting, submitting motherfuckers left and right. Love it. So good for you, Tom Hardy. Um, you continue to be just a, a, a men among boys. Indeed. Truly. Alrighty, folks. So this week we have one movie we will be talking about. Don't Worry, Darling, according to IMDb.com. A 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company could be hiding disturbing secrets. Oh, I hadn't. I literally did not think that's what it was going to be about. Uh, Bill, should I go see it? Uh, no, it's a no. And it was a hard one to review. Let me tell you, because okay, we talked about there's there's a lot of interest in this movie because of the off-screen drama that occurred during the making of. Which, since seeing the film, I have been caught up on. Um, Friend of the show, Krista, took me through what was going on. Uh, None of that really changes much to me, but. It was mildly entertaining. But the movie is really tricky and hard to review because it's almost like a tale of two movies. Like, I loved the first half of this movie. Like, I was in it. I was sitting there blown away, way better than I expected. The acting was great. Uh, The cinematography was great. The direction was spot on. A little over-directed, but still overall very good. And I was fully entranced by the movie, the whole the whole first half. Like, truly loved it. And then the script takes some twists and turns, and it becomes a complete disaster. And it just flops at the end. So then I was stuck trying to review it, thinking to myself, like, do I want to give it a yes because the performances are worth seeing and because I want to praise and give credit to all that work that was done in the first half? Or... Do I have to go with my gut and the fact that I feel so disappointed leaving it that I I have to give it a no on the merits? And I ended up leaning towards the no. Before we dive in a little deeper. I I don't want to dive too deep. So this will probably be a short review, to be honest, because like so much of this movie hinges on the storyline and where it goes. And I don't want to spoil that for people. Okay, but I'll try to be as vague and answer as best I can. There's two avenues that I want to talk about i want to talk about the overall direction of the film and i want to talk about um casting our actors and actresses sure so uh let's start with the latter right you have some big all-star names that star in this film including uh many 
have been calling it Harry Styles' breakout role as not just a singer and, and entertainer, but um, an actor. How do, does, do those statements hold up? Like, how does Harry do? How does he compare to his other all-star castmates? Um, and then ultimately, like, how does Olivia Wilde direct uh, her her new bow, so to speak, in this f- first major film for for her, and also the first major film for him. Uh, so Harry was interesting. I the only experience I have with Harry Styles was Dunkirk. He had a small role in that, uh, if I remember correctly. So he was sort of new to me because in Dunkirk he's mostly just running around. So to see him actually perform as an actor. I thought he was fine. Like I didn't really. I know some critiques have said that he was he was kind of weak, couldn't really keep up with the rest of the cast. But to me, I didn't really bump on that. Like I thought he was fine. Um, but in honesty, in terms of screen time as well as quality, this is Florence Pugh's movie. Like she owns the movie. She's in almost every frame, and she carries it. She is incredible. So he does, I mean, he does look a little weak compared to her because she's just scene stealing the entire film. Um, but to me, I thought he was fine. I thought, I thought he did okay. Like, I would see him in other things. Like, I wasn't too hung up on him. Uh, the other performance that comes out in this movie is Chris Pine, who was also just magnetic. Uh, but he's criminally underused in the movie. Like, him and Florence, they're conflict should have been the basis for the entire script and instead we only get like a scene or two of them going at it so again all of it kind of boils down more to script issues than anything else okay uh olivia wilde actress for a very long time uh early 2000s gets into directing she did a few music videos she has her first major uh, director directorial debut with the film Booksmart, which we both really loved. Right? Yeah, great movie. Uh, Craig loved it too. Yeah, I mean it's, it's smart. Snaps for Booksmart. Smart, uh, just just great, just overall great film. Hilarious. Um, as she takes on a much larger budget, much larger theatrical release, much larger egos. Like, how does she well? How does she do directing? Kind of this next echelon of Hollywood almost S-tier talent. It's interesting because there are some things that she does as a director that I thought were really great and like really subtle, really cool little sequences uh, that I thought were great. And then there's other times where she goes way overboard and like over-directs certain scenes where they over-edit a little bit. There's some, like she goes over the top in some of the dream sequences. There's too many dream sequences. Um, she kind of overplays her hand sometimes, but then she has some really, really smart, subtle ideas in other times. So it was very uh, confusing in that way. And again, sort of tale of two movies, like there's just both sides of the spectrum represented here. But I think what she's done well is surrounded herself with the right talent. We talked about the the casting, which was a big part of it, and Florence, a great choice to lead it and and carries it. But she also hired uh, a phenomenal cinematographer, uh, Matthew Libatique, I believe that's how you pronounce it. He did, and it. I didn't know this till after I looked it up because I was like, "This is a, that was a good looking movie. Like, who shot that?" And it was the cinematographer that often works with Darren Aronofsky. So he did Black Swan, um, Mother, Noah, Requiem for a Dream, 
The Fountain. Like he's done all those movies as a cinematographer and that talent level uh, helps elevate Don't Worry Darling. Again, particularly in the first half when they're spending uh, all the time in that 50s uh, village, for lack of a better word, like their own little self-contained city there, yeah, out in the middle of the desert. Um, and when it's the 50s, you can use a lot more color and you can tell a lot more with um, with the visuals. And he nails it. So, like, she did a great job in picking a cinematographer, and then they work together really well. So, there's a lot going for the movie, if only the script did not let it down so hard. And that, I partially think I need to, Olivia Wilde, take some heat for it, because my understanding is this is based on one of those scripts that was on the quote unquote blacklist or whatever they call it, where it's like one of the best scripts of the year that doesn't get made. Um, that gets compiled every year. And then usually the following year, people go back and look at that list and try to pull things out of it. And so this was one of those scripts. But when Olivia Wilde took it over, she brought on her own team to rewrite it um, and, and make, make changes. So I read an article that compared the original script to her script. They're pretty similar, but she does make some, some dramatic changes towards the end that, that hurt it. So yeah, again, hard to discuss if you haven't seen it. People that are interested in the drama behind the scenes, might as well see it for yourself. Like it might be uh, more interesting with that lens in mind. I didn't have that, but but people might. Uh, but I think some people are gonna leave disappointed. Uh, so that's why I gave it the no overall. I'd really be curious on your take uh, if you get a chance to see it. We can, maybe we can do a follow up at some point. Um, again, love the love the first half, but it really let me down at the end. Yeah, I, I definitely want to watch it. Getting into the theaters to watch it, probably not going to happen, but as soon as it's on uh, VOD uh, and rental, I'll, I'll probably watch it at home and yeah, we'll do a follow-up. Yeah, definitely. All right, Bill, let's go to our last segment, Netflix and Bill, and what are we watching? So I started, you know, this is funny, after we shit all over Disney and, and their, their wares, but I did start this, their new show, Andor, which is a prequel series, if you will, to um, Rogue One. It's about Cassian Andor, who is one of the main characters in Rogue One. And it also stars Stellan Skarsgård. And it's written, a lot of the episodes are written by Tony Gilroy, who wrote Michael Clayton, among other things. And I will say, I'm, they released three episodes at launch, and I actually am enjoying it. It's It doesn't feel connected to anything else in Star Wars, which is a good thing because I'm sick of everything in Star Wars. It feels like it is made much more for adults. The writing is particularly strong compared to other things in the Star Wars universe. And yeah, I mean, so far, the, the only thing I don't like about it, they have a running series of flashbacks similar to Boba Fett almost, where like every once in a while they flash back to something and you don't really know why. Presumably it will build and connect. But in the meantime, the, the flashback scenes are, are, to me, feel pointless and a waste of time. But the stuff happening in present day, I'm actually, I'm actually enjoying. So Andor, you know, I gave it a shot because this actually was something I watched mostly on the flight. I saved it locally to the iPad and I was like, I'll give it a chance because what else am I going to do? And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, uh, I've heard great things. The reviews that I've read online are fantastic. Um, I have said for a few years um, that Rogue One might be probably top two Star Wars films. Uh, oh, 
Same. New Hope and Rogue One, period. They're, yeah, I mean, they're just... There's so much about Rogue One that's amazing, but I think what I love the most about it was uh, having Greg Frazier as a DP of that film. It just sets like this, this visual tone for that I think ended up being... He actually was the DP, the cinematographer of the first episode of The Mandalorian, which I think helped then frame what Star Wars TV would look like based on how Rogue One was, which I think is amazing. Um, Greg Frazier did a whole bunch of beautiful movies as a cinematographer. So uh, Killing Him Softly, Zero Dark Thirty, Foxcatcher, uh, Vice, uh, Dune, and then he was the DP on uh, The Batman too. So there is a style of Craig Frazier that I think just works and aesthetically I like. So to see a, a continuation of the work that was done on Rogue One into a television series is very um, intriguing to me. The problem that I'm having, though, is... With the Mandalorian, the Boba Fett story now, Andor, there's they're flooding the market with a whole bunch of stuff, and it, it's it's hard for someone like me who isn't on top of every episode to remember and to get back into not only what happened in canon original Star Wars, right, but then also prequels, sequels, and now spinoff TV shows, and to get your mind wrapped around the whole universe, it's just. It's a tough entry point for someone who's not a, a die-hard uh, Star Wars guy. That's why I appreciate it so far, at least, because they haven't been doing a lot of connections, so like it seems standalone. But we will see where they go with it. I am terrified that they're going to try to weave it in somehow, because I uh, I finished Boba Fett, but I'm done with it. I won't go back. Obi-Wan, I watched the first episode, and I got out of it. So like I'll keep watching this, but if it starts to get so interconnected, like I'm gonna, it's going to be problematic uh i also started watching uh, or it started airing season six of rick and morty which is entertaining as usual so that's uh on for anybody who might be missing that it's on sunday nights uh and speaking of sunday nights continuing to watch house of dragon uh still really into it uh i you know we talked about the fact that there might be actor changes those actor changes have now occurred i still feel okay about it but the time jumping is definitely becoming a lot and i'm hoping that they kind of settle in by the end of the season or into season two they settle into a time period that we can really build the story more naturally so that's what i'm kind of fingers crossed for but I'll, I'll certainly keep watching it i watched five and six back to back because i was i was behind one week and I have some serious fucking issues with episode six. And maybe it's only because I watched five right before it. And five was like a typical, you know, episode six, seven Game of Thrones thing where like there's a shit ton of things that happen. And you're like, <gasps> what happens? And then it's like 10 years later and you're like, OK, fine. And then there's a little there's a bunch of thematic things and character things that are being rinsed and reused 10 years later with different characters. And I'm like, what the what are we what are we fucking what are we doing here? What are we yeah, doing? There are here? also some some plot lines that felt, I mean, so far feel like they've been completely dropped because we jumped so far. So it's like, okay, so why did I care about that in the last episode? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. That's why I'm really really hoping that this is all set up to reach to to reach a point where they can settle in and tell the story a little more naturally. That's my real hope for the show. Uh, and then I'm still watching She Hulk and The Patient, both of which are uh, fine. She Hulk's okay. The Patient, I do really like. Um, so I'm continuing to watch those. Yeah, I'm. A, I mean, I'm getting by on that show because of Tatiana Maslany. Like she's she. I still really really like seeing her and her work, but 
it's 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 candy. It's it's just it's entertaining. It's 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 there's not a lot of nutritional value there. Um, for the what we're watching soon or on the horizon, Bill, there is a 24 hour period in December that means a lot to me in this show. Do you know what that 24 hour period is? In December, uh, yeah. A lot of movies come out on Christmas. Is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, well, you're halfway there, Bill. And the 24th is when sweet baby angel Bill George was <laughs> born into this world, correct? Uh, I am a Christmas Eve baby. That is correct. Yeah, so, okay, that starts it, all right? And then 24 hours later, Babylon, the new film by Damien Chazelle, ah. is released on Christmas Day. They released both a... Uh, green band and red band trailer for this film. It looks fucking outrageous. And the runtime, though, Bill, is three hours and five minutes long. Shut up. No shot. Really? Three five is is the current listed runtime. There is... The only thing that I've read, because I'm a huge Damien Chazelle fan, is that there is 30 minutes, give or take, but that's the only 30 minutes that it's going to be able to give up. So at best, two and a half at its current state, we're looking over three hours, basically the Titanic of... of is, it, is, it the, is it the three hours and five minutes like that they showed at festivals or whatever, and you're saying that the final theater edit could be shorter? Is that what you're saying? The, the the final theater edit could be two thirty, but the current uh, pre release festival run has been three hours. And wow, five. wow, wow, wow! I with massive acclaim. When we went to Don't Worry, Darling, I shut my eyes during the trailers per usual. But my understanding is they did show that trailer before Don't Worry, Darling. But I did not see it. I'm going in fresh as usual, and that's uh, that's exciting. That's exciting. I Wonderful. mean, it looks. I'm excited for you. It looks. Insane um, 1920s gilded Hollywood when it moves from the um, the s- silent films into talkies is basically the, the world that we're in. And it's just filled with uh, money, debauchery, sex, violence, everything that you could imagine. Not a musical, though. So a departure from the normal, normal Damien Chazelle world. Um, there will be some musical aspects to it, but it will not be like a La La Land or a Whiplash or anything kind of like that. I'm sure it'll win all the awards because if there's anything we've learned from Hollywood and the Academy Awards is they love movies about movies. Yep. So they sure fucking do. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm uh, twerked about. What about you? Uh, I have tickets coming up to see uh, Smile, which is a new horror movie that uh, they seem to be marketing pretty heavily. Like it's, I see more and more marketing for it as we get closer. I'm getting hammered with these <laughs> yeah. ads. Hammered with Smile ads. I kind of want to see see it with you uh yeah i mean yeah if you want to go i'm planning on going um i'm hoping i can make a show right after work might be tight i might have to reschedule it but either way my plan is to see it um so if you want to we can reschedule we can look at that and then i also have a ticket to see amsterdam um which is another movie i think it's got christian bale Margot Robbie, maybe i don't know again i don't watch trailers but i know that this is a movie with people in it oh, okay <laughs> Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Star-studded cast, from what I gather from the trailers. You're right about Christian Bale and Margot Robbie. Another film that I'm also getting pounded with ads about as well. So yeah, yep. So I have tickets to see them. Um, so hopefully we will have reviews for that in our next episode, depending on the timing. But that's uh, all I have on the docket at the moment. We should be entering soon into schlocky horror movie season in October. 
and then we finally get into prestige and award-winning movies in November, December. So we'll see what happens. Let's um for our next episode, let's uh let's start talking and key up maybe a little discussion about favorite uh favorite Halloween horror fall movies Ooh, big fall guy big fall guy over here let's talk about fall fall movies i'm a huge fall the fact that i haven't been sweating 24 7 is a life changer um i will be reviewing and talking about uh hocus pocus 2 on our next episode because as of the time that this episode airs it will be live on disney uh, Plus. oh you know what else will be live by the time we uh do our next episode is blonde on Netflix with uh, Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. So we can probably review uh, yeah. that as well. NC-17, baby. Let's go. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Uh, please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It and purchase some merchandise at shouldigosee it.redbubble.com. <laughs>